Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links in what a show it shall be, ladies and gentlemen, because at this time, two days from now, we'll be on the final two prelim fights of UFC 280. The main card will be upon us, the two title fights, the incredible main event for the vacant lightweight title. It's just one of those weeks where we get reminded of why we love this sport so much. And we'll certainly talk about the big storylines heading into Saturday and much more on the show. No time to waste. Let's get to it. Let us introduce the panelists first. Let us say hello to a man who is now with us three weeks in a row. He's coming off a hard-fought victory over UFC lightweight Grant Dawson on the show last week. Not a lot of people on this planet can say they hold a win over Grant Dawson in pretty much anything. But he does. He's the Prince of Positivity, the co-host of On to the Next One in the MMA Fighting Ranking Show. And he's our best friend, too, Mr. Alexander K. Lee. Hello, AK. Oh, sorry. I was uh, I was looking at the wrong... Uh, hello. <laughs> a little bit of this. A little bit of this. Sorry, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. I've never, I've never been on this show this many consecutive times. It's weird for me, but I'm excited. I'm excited to have done it and uh, excited about my opponent today. Yes, and this opponent. Sometimes people throw out this cliche just to make people feel good and they don't really mean it. But in this case, it rings true. Back by popular demand, he's already got a victory over the recently retired Jed Mishu on the program. And I don't think anybody is more excited about Tyson Fury's next fight than this man from Morning Combat, CBS Sports, Showtime, former MMA beat panelist as well. And I believe another award is going on your mantle, Mr. Brian Campbell. You're back. This is exciting. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. I was ready to jump back in the dumpster and take out Meshu a second time, but uh, AK Lee is a tough competitor. I'm from Morning Combat. All we do is win awards. Thank you very much. Okay, all right, good. Well, congratulations on that. So let's get right into this. 
Okay. When you can vote a hundred times and you have crazy fans, it may be easy to win these awards, right? But you know, that's it's, it still happened, right? It still happened. Don't be humble. Don't be humble. Back to back, yes. People's yes. Choice Podcast Award winner, Brian Campbell. The people have spoken. Thank you. Wow. Wow. This is a much nicer start to the program than the last time BC was on. So. Look, I, I know it's UFC 280 fight week, but we're going to handle this show like a sandwich. Yes, we know the bread is an integral part of the sandwich, but the meat in the middle, that's what makes a sandwich a sandwich, my friends. And that's how this show is going to play out. So we're going to start with this past weekend first, UFC Vegas 62. And I like to bring up this particular category from time to time where there's not a lot of storylines that come out of a card. I like to play the NHL three-star rule. And we're going to do so for UFC Vegas 62. So, BC, we'll begin with you. A la pro hockey, who are your three stars of UFC Vegas 62 this past weekend and why? Well, thankfully, Mike Heck, it wasn't at Zuck on Twitter. Yeah, great to hear that thing's <laughs> over with for now, all right? I mean, come on. Somebody should slap that guy. Look, let's look. First star goes to Alexa Grasso. That's four, four in a row in the new weight class of women's flyweight. It wasn't an overwhelming victory over Araujo, but, man, she took that next step closer to the title shot, played on her strengths, and did what she had to do. Uh, where else am I throwing some, some uh, stars there? How about the legs? of Jonathan Martinez to send 38-year-old Cub Swanson and who moved down to uh, Bantamweight to uh, to the bottom there with, with a strong victory. And I I don't know, you know, sometimes we all catch a guy and, and they catch our eye and we start riding them. Joe Anderson Brito is coming on and he's got that python lock to, to, to submit uh, pretty much uh, anyone he's coming across. He took Lucas Alexander down quick. So I threw those three stars around that way, but it was kind of weird card where I have no idea who you're, who you liked in this one. Yeah, it's it's all over the place. AK, what did you think? Where, you know, I mean, a, and I know you didn't watch yeah. this live, but yeah. you followed MMAfighting.com. Sure, great website. Up. Sure, it's a great website. I've caught up. Uh, I'm a big fan of Alexa Grasso, but I don't think she did herself any favors with sort of her post-fight comments. I love her candor, humbleness, how honest she is. The performance itself was really solid. Uh, like Brian said, not this overwhelming dominant victory, but uh, very few people just kind of blow out uh, Viviani Arujo. So there's no shame in, in her not being able to just completely dominate. But it was a pretty convincing win, I thought. Um, so give her credit for that. However, all this talk about how like, well, I, I, I'm not ready to fight Shevchenko yet. I know I need another big fight. I know I need another main event fight. Again, cool, uh, cool objective thinking. But for the fans, you're your needle just didn't move at all. So... Uh, honesty does not always pay off in this business. So uh, again, credit to her for her maturity. But uh, it's just uh, I, I do wonder if if this win again kind of left her neutral. But again, hopefully she does fight for a title someday and uh, she gets her way. But for now, definitely Jonathan Martinez. I mean, uh, Cub Swanson, huge name to have as an, on his resume. Great to see that uh, the silence behind the violence. Uh, TV TBS TV uh, TSB TV. <laughs> right, Mike? TSB TV. Uh, everyone should be tuning in because uh, he's, it looks like he's got the weight issues behind him. He's an exciting guy uh, in the cage. And his his unwillingness to talk on the mic almost makes him more endearing in a way. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But that's how I feel about it. So he would be the first star. So many people talking about him. Uh, Hafal Asan Sao would be my second star for shutting us all up, including me. Please, people, do not read my prediction on MMAfighting.com. Again, fantastic <laughs> website. My predictions, terrible. Uh, I said he can't win fights like this anymore. I said guys like Victor Henry, you know, not a super young guy, but just someone who's a little bit fresher in the UFC, I thought it's going to come for that spot and take that spot. 
I was so wrong. I said my prediction might be disrespectful, and it was. And uh, he shut me up. Uh, Half us and Sal is a classic and, and should not be doubted like that again. And uh, sprinkle a little a little stardust on uh, Tetsuro Tyra. Again, a guy who we've talked about sort of flying under the radar because of the existence of uh, Muhammad Makayev, who fights this weekend. Uh, he's also very young. He's also killing it at 125. I'm not saying he's on the same level of a prospect as Makayev, but he is very, very good. And for him to just pick up a nice quick finish, uh, well, somewhat quick finish, I say a uh, second round finish against CJ Vergara, who I think is a good fighter uh, on the undercard. I mean, I, I think that's that's a big pickup for this kid. So he's also undefeated and uh, picked up performance, nice bo- uh, night bonus, extra 50 Gs for him. So there you go. So uh, apologies to Alexa Grasso, who uh, who won in the main event, but I'm going Martinez, Asun Sao, and Tyra. Your Honor, I Judge like, Heck, yeah. are we allowed yeah, to sure. cross-reference the witness on this show? I don't, I, you know, I don't want to take over the of show course. from you. <laughs> of course. Right? That's why I mean, we're here. Look, A.K. Lee, I mean, I get it with that, with Grasso. You know, I said it wasn't spectacular. She didn't leap through the screen, but it was workmanlike. It was the next step in the evolution of her trying to round out her game, and it was her first five-round bout. So I understand from, like, a marketing, and we want to hear our fighters talk about how tough and confident they are, that you didn't like that she said, well, maybe I'd love to get one more five-round bout in. Okay, would you rather go through what we've been through on the Shevchenko title journey, which is – Top contenders, let's use Lauren Murphy, for example, get to the pulpit, get to their point of, you know, proving themselves against the best. Maybe, maybe, maybe long term, the best woman we've ever seen inside the cage, Valentina. OK, certainly the, the best who's ever had a handgun tattooed on her midriff. But here's what I'm saying about Murphy. You know, every interview leading in is we're saying, how are you going to overcome somebody who can do everything? Now, this was before Tyler Santos humbled Shevchenko just a bit. But Murphy goes, I'm just going to do my game. I'm going to do me and, you know, see if it's enough. Uh, Attention, women's 125-pound division. It's not going to be enough. You're going to have to be better than you think you can be. You're going to have to be, you know, next level. Tyler Santos had the right sort of mentality mixed with body type and aggression. She found a way to make it close. I'd much rather have Alexa Grasso be honest with us. Say I'm a work in progress. You saw I just went five rounds. You know I can box. I'm trying to wrestle on that same level. I want to get fully seasoned and ready. So I'm not, here we go, evil. Here we go, right into a head kick in less than two minutes of the first round. Grasso's exactly where she needs to be. She understands the situation where if Manon Ferro wins this weekend, UFC would love to put an octagon in the Eiffel Tower and run and, you know, have her fight for a title there. She's probably going to have to get through another test anyway, whether that's Andrade if she wins or whomever. So this is Alexa Grasso knowing she's got a good marketing chip in her own back pocket coming from Mexico and trying to be the first Mexican-born female champion. Let's let her figure it out on the way there, or we can just keep throwing you know, her into the spider web of Valentina before they're ready. All you have to do is win two in a row in this division, and they're, they're ready to talk about you for a title shot. She's progressing properly, and she deserved one of your three stars, AK. I mean, let's let's be honest here. Do you have a retort, AK? Um, I do. I was sorry. I was waiting for the. Uh, I was waiting for the open. I didn't want to just jump in. Uh, no, listen, no, look, look. I like. I like her attitude. I like her attitude. And and in the macro, I mean, sure. Well, we could look back on this performance. We can look back on her comments after this performance. Her, her performances before this. Her whole move up to one twenty five and say like she did it the right way. She again. She 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 correctly assessed her own skills, kind of projected where Valentina Shevchenko is. And she said the right things. She said the right things about, again, not wanting to dive headfirst into a fight with, into a collision with a bullet, frankly. Uh, there's really no no nice way to put it. Um, but again, as far as talking about just this event, 
I don't know if if she raised her stock that much, and and that's what what kills it for me. Now again, just by beating another uh, top. A 50, someone who's ranked top 15 in uh, in the MMA fighting global rankings, the only rankings that matter. It's it's great. Again, it's it's great for her. She's building up a very strong resume. Um, but to say that she like started this event, I just don't know how many people uh, either changed their opinion of her or are talking about her more than they were after. It, it. I don't know if she needed a knockout. I don't know if she needed to be a little more dominant. If that would change my opinion of it, but just winning a decision, yes, her first main event, uh, yes, again against another ranked opponent, yes, she's clearly not ready for Shevchenko yet. But the fact that the talking point is that she knows and we know she's not ready for Shevchenko yet, that diminishes the star power of this particular performance for me. Unlike as Jonathan Martinez, who again there was a lot of questions, been a lot of questions about him making weight, I mean, you know, maybe beating a veteran guy, takes out Cub Swanson, fantastic performance. A lot of questions about Asun Sao uh, on a losing streak. Is he just a, a, a name to be taken, a number to be taken now by guys like Victor Henry? So that was proven wrong. And again, Tyra kind of flying under the radar, but people are going to have to really start paying attention to this guy if he keeps putting on performances like he put against Vergara. So for me, maybe it was almost like a who was the... Who were the rising stars of this event? Um, if you want to make a case that Grasso, again, it, it still has the high, a higher overall kind of Q ratings in some of these names, sure, more people are talking about her than Tessa or Tyra. But I mean, as far as who made the biggest impact, stock rising, things like that, and people who I thought really were showcased at this event, I'm sticking with I'm sticking with my three, Brian. So let me, let me ask you this, Brian, because obviously she's in the title mix. She got kind of a head start on Fioro. And maybe Chukagin's in this mix too, because... I know it wasn't all that long ago that Shevchenko trucked Caitlin Chukagin, but she has done, and then she lost to Jessica Andrade, but she has done everything you could have possibly asked her to do if she beats Manon Fioro to get herself another title fight. So we were all wondering like how to match make for Grasso coming out of this fight. We were wondering how close she was to this fight. We thought Lauren Murphy would actually be a really good option because we thought we were taking the risk that Andrade was going to go down to 115 and this actually would work out great. But as we reported earlier this week, Lauren's fighting Jessica Andrade, January, UFC 283 in Rio. So how she needs one more fight, right? How do you match make for her now? Is she fighting Chukagian win or lose on Saturday? Like, how would you put this together? I don't think they're pushing Chukagian back into the title shot. She had one of the type of ho-hum performances challenging Valentina that, you know, solidified this somewhat negative stigma when you have a division that's not so deep and a dominant all-time great champion on top. She was almost, you could say, almost not resigned, although I'm happy that the UFC did when somebody's consistently beating the people that are trying to become contenders, you know, elite gatekeeper or not, they have value. They're there. They resigned her. I'm not saying she can't work her way back into a title picture, but I think the elephant in the room on deciding any level of matchmaking moving forward for Valentina is, is the UFC going to cash in on the trilogy with Amanda Nunes? Because now would seem the time Amanda just regained the title. Neither have somebody, unless you're going to run back Tyler Santos and say, look, she came really damn close. Let's give her another chance in a, in a better case scenario. It doesn't seem they're going to do that. So there's no one kicking the door in while we're happy that the 125 division is getting a couple names we care about and a couple names on the rise. Like it's starting to come together a little I think now would be the time to put, if you're going to do it, to push the Valentina Amanda trilogy, knowing that Valentina almost just lost, Amanda just lost and had to overcome and win back the title. And if that happens, you're certainly going to need Grasso to take another step forward. So, what is the best matchup? Well, the winner of Andrade uh, Lauren Murphy is perfect. Uh, if she, and also, let's not forget, Tyler Santos is going to have to have, fight somebody on the comeback. So, I think either way, Grasso's not getting the next title shot. 
but she is going to have to fight a number one contender level fight and uh, to really prove ourselves. So that's why I'm okay looking at this win as more of a survive in advance. I panicked a bit after Jan Blahovich in his first five round sort of showcase, is he ready for the title opportunity, was very boring against Jacare and, and kind of did what he had to do to survive. And then he went out there and, you know, kicked a bruise on the side of Dominic Reyes and won the championship. So um, I'd be happy with any of the women in this conversation in the moment up there. Uh, you know, and maybe it's not fair, but I think Chukagian's going to have to have a longer road than the, than the rest of them. I mean, because look, it's it's hard. She's really hard to beat if you're not a complete fighter or if you're still putting your game together. But she doesn't win spectacularly. And she doesn't seem to beat the very best when they get to that point. So I think she's going to have a longer road to work back in there. So how do we book her now, AK? Now that we have this new development of Andrade versus Murphy, how do we book Grasso now? It depends what you're trying to do. Again, if, if you're really trying to get behind Grasso and you're really trying to make her the next contender, I would definitely keep her away from Chukagan. I don't know why. I just don't like that matchup. Oddly, oddly, I kind of like her and Andrade better. I don't know why. Maybe there's something about... Um, Grasso's technical skills. I think maybe she can pull off like a Joanna Jacek kind of impression. Uh, I'm not saying they're similar fighters, but as far as being like over 25 minutes, can she kind of sneak away with a decision against a Jessica Andrade? I think she can do that. Um, Shukagian is such a coin toss and such a frustrating opponent. And you really need a little bit of power, like serious power, to um, to kind of get her noticed, which is why I like uh, Ferro's chances of beating her. But if that doesn't happen... Uh, actually, and well, sorry to say, win or lose for Chukagian, I don't want Grasso to have to go through her. I think that's the wrong way to go. Um, so that's that's one matchup I'm not looking forward to. I would like to see her fight the Lauren Murphy Andrade winner. I think either way, um, one if if Grasso can beat either of them, no question, she's worthy of a title shot. And I'd be very impressed because those are super tough opponents. And and I think you'd have a few people who would think that maybe maybe she could catch Shevchenko on a day off, um, kind of like Tala Santos did uh, in a striking, not grappling. But uh, So I like her going down that route. Um, of course, staying available for that fight would also be smart. Of course, if she can just not stay ready to fight, possibly fight the winner, uh, uh, sorry, possibly fight either Murphy or Andrade as a replacement, I'd say she has to jump on the opportunity. I know it's not ideal, but I think it's something she should consider. So I, I like that path a lot more. Um, as far as when she might fight Shevchenko, man, it's it's hard to say. Again, the champ has options. There's that Talos Santos rematch, which you feel like has to happen at some point. Um, Manon Figueroa is ahead of the line. So that's already two people who I think Grasso is uh, is going to have to wait for, even if she manages to beat a, a Murphy or Andrade in impressive fashion. So um, it, it's a long way to go. And I think we might not see Grasso get that shot until, boy, late 2023, early 2024, if that well, that is the end piece of the loaf of bread here. Not the most appealing thing on the show, but we, we can't throw it away. <laughs> well, well, it's on to the cold cuts, it, maybe. Go ahead. All right. Would it fire you up if we matched Grasso against a three-fight win streak Macy Barber? Fun main event? Could stay busy? Could keep herself right in the title shot? Or am I just fantasy matchmaking to kill time here? I was trying to see if Macy was matched up. Okay, I mean that's not that's not. Well, she's not. Re, she's that's a not free bad. agent right now, isn't she? She's oh, not, that's the she's thing. She's not even signed. I think she goes back though. I mean, I that's do too, sense. but yeah. It's I mean, maybe guaranteed. an Alexa Grasso main event might uh might be just the thing to get a pen out quickly. 
put it to paper. So not a bad idea, but let's get on to the cold cuts, baby. It's on to the real good stuff on to UFC 280. The point for round one goes to AK. It's one to nothing. God, I need that early lead. I need that early lead on Brian. It's going to, it's going to help. It's going to help me late in the later rounds. BC's face is the only reason I made that selection more than anything, but <laughs> As you know, these points don't mean anything. It all comes down to the final vote at the very end of this. So let's get in. These points mean as much as the podcast voters' votes matter, okay? It's all matters to me, okay? On this we agree. All right, hey, listen. And on this we agree. On this we agree. Yes, but listen, on, you know, did I think we'd spend 20 minutes on UFC Vegas 62? I did not. So we got a little heated there, and that's good. So the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. The main event for UFC 280 is upon us, gentlemen. For the vacant lightweight title in Abu Dhabi, Charles Oliveira battles Islam Makachev. Now, this is a fascinating fight for a number of reasons. Stylistically, from a legacy standpoint, we got two guys with double-digit win streaks. One guy's winning with just such pure and utter dominance, while the other has, in a lot of ways, defied logic, just always gets himself in a world of trouble and then just embraces it and gives chaos a big squeeze and then finds ways to win in the most exciting possible way. So, AK, a lot of these angles have been covered ad nauseum. Maybe we'll revisit one here, but... Point blank, this was a popular topic on Heck of a Morning this morning. This was brought up multiple times. What is the biggest burning question you have about this fight? You can view it in all different ways, but what's that one question you want to see answered in this fight outside of who is actually going to win it? Oh, answered in the fight? In the um, fight. Like, what are you looking for the, oh, as, okay, you style, I mean, as you break it down? Fight. Yeah. Will I have time to make a Habib rant later? Because you know I have one of those loaded up. Yes, if you want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, I'm not the only one thinking it. We're all thinking it. I'm just the one who keeps saying it. Uh, in the fight itself, gosh, I, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not interested in this narrative of will Islam break Charles down and make Charles quit? I, Islam brought it up again at the press conference on, the, on Thursday. He, the whole, oh, this guy, this guy just gives up. You put the pressure on him. Enough of that. It's ridiculous. My only question is, uh, and this is sort of a prediction I've been making for a while too, is can Oliveira submit him? Uh, I think he can. I think it's how he wins the fight. Now, does he do it? Now, the question is, does he do it off his back? You know, a lot of people are saying, well, Makachev, of course, going to take him down. That's, we all see it happening. There's almost no way he doesn't score at least one takedown on Charles Oliveira. But once it gets there, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Oliveira has long been one of the most feared guys on the ground. Um, off his back, uh, top control, you name it, any position. This dude is super, super deadly. But we know that great wrestling can neutralize jujitsu, and, and we, if this has been happening for two decades now, you know uh, the 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 mystique of jujitsu has been diffused many many times by great wrestlers who have their own jujitsu training, of course. But again, 
uh, submitting, in, you know, being in someone's guard is no longer, you know, a death sentence as it was in uh, in, in the 90s when, when Horace Gracie was doing stuff like that to people. So we're, we're long past those days. Certainly Makhachev could control Charles Oliveira from top position for five rounds, beat him up with ground and pound. Uh, but I am a believer that Oliveira is just not someone you want to mess with. And as aggressive and as powerful as Makachev is, um, I, I'm a believer in the gentle art. I, I think he is. I, I really need to know if he's going to tap him out. And, and so that's why I hope I hope we get to see a lot of that. Both guys, great, well-rounded mixed martial artists. We can see a lot of action on the feet. Charles Oliveira has become one of the most potent like knockout guys at, at lightweight. You know, he's, he, he, he knocks people out. He also clubs and subs. He's very dangerous on the feet. Uh, but for for me, the ground game is what I want to see. I, I I am so intrigued by how that that unstoppable Dagestani wrestling, how that sambo uh, matches up with again a guy widely regarded as the best submission artist in UFC history. Uh, so I need to see this. So I I I, I if they, if it's if it's if they mix the martial arts, Mike, I accept it. You know, I'm not a fan, as you know. Hashtag keep the martial arts apart. I would like to see this be primarily a grappling contest. And that that's what I want to know is who is really the man uh, down on the mat. Forget mixing stuff. Get, get both, both guys get on the ground and let's, and let's see who's really superior down there. You see, this fight is so interesting. What's the biggest question you have? I mean, it's very similar to what AK just said. It's, it's specifically what happens, not obviously if uh, Mahachev will take him down. He's going to take him down. He's going to take him down a lot. The, the the statistics show you that the momentum the history everything's going to show you that but it's more specifically when they're there if off his back Oliveira cannot establish the threat of a submission he'll sub you in a half second if you make a big mistake these Dagestani wrestlers especially at this level and not every guy's with Nurmagomedov as his last name is going to be this good this guy just happens to be freaking great I don't even think it matters if he's as good as Habib in this one if he's as good as he has looked through this win streak. I know this is leveling up to a higher level, but what do these hammers from Dagestan bring? A motherfucker attitude. I don't even know if I can say that word on this show. They shut your game down. They'll shut the entertainment factor down. They'll just put it on lockdown. So when that starts happening, if Charles cannot provide a threat that will stop Mahachev from going into ground and pound chain wrestling, drag at your gas tank mode, then... Like it's to illustrate what I love the most about this fight is that however way you lean, people are very passionate in either way. And the reason people are so like, okay, if you're picking, you know, uh, the ch- if you're picking Charlie Olives, you can't even believe a world in which Islam could stand and trade with him. I agree with you. They're just not going to be standing and trading for long. But what I love about the fight is that either guy can implement their game plan and completely win that way, right? You know, like Oliver could just make it trouble on the feet for Mahachev and, and expose that he's not on that level. And obviously there'd have to be some takedown defense in there and some some uh, other tricks. But I think he's going to get him down. And when he's down, when Oliver is on his back, if that threat is not there enough to make Islam pull back a little and he's going to be keep coming downhill on him, uh, you know, look, uh, Oliver drags you into a war. He's willing to take your best shot. He's courageous as hell. He recuperated skills are amazing, but he almost sort of gasses you out and puts you in fight or flight mode by taking your big shot and getting you into his type of fight, which is an anything can happen, batshit crazy fight. In that mode, he's unbelievable. But Islam, whether you believe he's actually beaten enough A-level fighters or whether you believe he's anywhere close to Habib, 
What he does great is avoid those situations. So he will take Charlie down. It's going to come down to whether Oliveira, beyond just Islam making the kind of mistake that these guys don't make, these guys going to get tapped out, right? They, they, you know, when when they get to this level, they are on a trend right now in a run, especially those that have come directly from the teat of the late Abdulmanap R.I.P. They don't succumb in those areas. Can Charles Oliveira have enough of a threat? Of course, he's got more submissions than anybody. He's incredible. But when he's on his back and the pressure's on and the gas tank is wilting, uh, he's going to have to answer in those moments to, to be able to get up and to be able to neutralize there. That's to, to me, is where the fight is going to be won or lost. Because, yeah, they have to start each round on the feet. And, yeah, if, if you can see the future and tell me it's a kickboxing fight, well, good luck. Uh, to, good luck to Mahachev. But he, history tells you he's going to get you where he wants. Now it's up to you to show us what you can do three and a half, four rounds in when he's been laying on you that all fight. Uh, this may not be an exciting fight. It also may be a dominant Mahachev win, just as much as I can imagine him getting finished in the second round with a shot he didn't see coming. But uh, prove to me, show me that 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 he hasn't been this guy up to this point outside of that loss, which is 12 fights ago. And look at who he is now. Uh, sometimes you have the type of game that just levels up. He has that type of neutralizing game. Yeah, to me, it's it's the chaos clause. What can, how does Makachev deal with the chaos? Because I agree, this fight's getting to the mat. Islam is going to take him down and he's going to win rounds that way. It's just a matter of when it happens. Because I think, I think Oliveira has 10 minutes, maybe 12 at the most to put out as much chaos as possible. Like Islam Makachev is a very strong thunderstorm. It's consistent. It soaks you. You have to stay inside. It's horrible to drive in. It's consistent. You know what to expect. But Charles Oliveira is a friggin' hurricane. He's a tornado. And we may not last long, but it's devastating. So I'm curious how Islam can deal with that because we're going to see that. We're going to see Charles make this ugly. We're going to see him try to invoke as much chaos in this fight for as long as he can. But to me, the longer the fight goes, the more it favors Islam Makhachev. And everything on paper that I look at tells me that Islam is going to win the fight. But I still feel like Charles can just turn things chaotic and make this really interesting. And I don't think he's got a lot of time to make that happen, but man, I just have, that, that's like the biggest question for me. How is Islam in a traditional martial arts competition? Islam is going to win this fight almost every time, but can, can how I, is he going to deal with it? How is he going to deal with that chaos? That's my biggest I, question. I mean, AK, let me throw it to you here. It's not my show, but I'll take the wheel. Like the other guys on this incredible win streak, were kind of willing to take the bait, right? You know what I mean? Gaethje, Chandler. I mean, these guys want to F around with you, right? Machev, don't do that. How, you know, give me the side where Charles just going to magically lure him into that. Okay, I don't, I don't think he needs to lure him in. Um, like I said, the whole thing is Islam is, we can talk about him maybe being disciplined, maybe having a different demeanor than a Gaethje or Justin Poirier or Michael Chandler. He's not a brawler. I mean, no one would describe him as a brawler. That's certainly not a thing. Uh, but he is aggressive. He is going to come forward. He is going to shoot in. He is going to take the fight to Charles Oliveira. And Charles Oliveira has no problem with that. He, he, he's like, as uh, Mike has kind of suggested, he is going to invite him to, br to bring his best. We might see a really strong first round from Makachev. I could see like, I could see like a 10-8. He gets Charles down and it is just whomping on him. But when Charles doesn't go away, and when Charles starts fire, gets his chance to fire back, I need to so know how Islam deals with that. Because we know, we know, again, the whole quitter narrative with Charles is out the window. If it ever should have existed, it is out the window since he became champion. He gets hit. This guy bleeds. This guy gets rocked. And he comes back firing. 
I don't know how Makachev deals with that kind of pressure. Such a great fighter, so dominant. But the big question we ask in a lot of these fights, when you have someone who's, whose resume has been questioned, as Islam's has, is, well, what happens when, when you get hurt? What happens when you get stung, when you get burned, when, you, when, you're, when your feet are on the fire? Um, and I'm not questioning, again, I'm not getting ahead of myself here and saying I don't think Islam can deal with that. But it's a whole different thing than, again, running through a, a Bobby Green, running through a Dan Hooker, um, being able to control guys like a, like a Davi Hamos on the ground. You know what I mean? Um, solid names, good fighters, not Charles Oliveira, not the kind of guys who can hurt him like Charles Oliveira did. So I, I don't and, – and I sincerely doubt he just puts him away in the first round. Like I said, could be a 10-8, huge, impressive first round for the challenger. But guess what? The, uh, the would-be champion has five rounds to work with. And uh, and I would love to, and I think he's going to really take it to to Islam from uh, rounds two to five. Dude, yeah, his last way, five opponents, yeah. Charlie's last five opponents wanted it. They wanted the sex guys. They wanted the the craziness. <laughs> That's how they're wired. They can't avoid it. This Islam is too disciplined to allow this to become a Charles Oliveira fight. I think you guys know that. At the end of the day. I think if you yeah, want to look in the mirror, you understand. The octagon it. does not care what a fighter wants, Brian Campbell. The octagon That's says if the, if the octagon demands chaos, if the octagon demands violence, then violence and chaos there shall be. And I think Makachev is going to going to find this out on on Saturday. Unfortunately, I'm not saying it's going to work, but Oliver is just so good at it, and that he can lure anybody into it. It's not just Chandler and Poirier and Gaethje. Even at points like Poirier didn't even want to engage in that, but he just had no choice. He just got punched in the face and it rocked his ass and he had no choice but to dive into the circus. And I'm not saying Makachev's going to do that, but if Oliveira is able to get there, even for five seconds, will Islam just take him down and dump him? Or will he just be like, whoa, I'm a little rattled here. What do I do? Do I just dive back at like what? And I think Islam could strike with him. Like, I don't think it's like if we're going slap fighting shot for shot, he's not going to win that battle. But Charles leaves himself open for things that Islam does very, very well on the feet. So I'm curious to see what happens, especially with Makachev on the feet. How long is he willing to keep it standing? But with all of this, BC, the legacy question comes up a ton when it comes to this fight. More so for Oliveira, because we got the comparisons to the resume of Habib. Will he be the greatest lightweight of all time if he's able to beat this wrecking machine that is Islam Makachev, who coincidentally enough is coached by Habib? Some people view the undefeated record, the 29-0, more than anything else because Oliveira has suffered more than a few losses. So in your eyes, is Oliveira the dude in the long-storied history of the UFC's 155-pound division if he wins on Saturday? Or like, where is he at if the answer's not yes? It would be hard to say anything negative about where he stands in lightweight history, where his turnaround stands and sort of feel good for somebody who's been here for so long and does this be his 32nd UFC fight. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But, you know, Chuck Mindenhall on one of our morning combat shows, I think, said it best. He's like, look at this five fight stretch. Okay, maybe we don't want to call him the best lightweight ever. I mean, Habib just walked through that door and left, but he's still kind of here, too, in a way. But this run of five consecutive opponents, I mean, really, what are you going to compare it to? It was maybe John Jones beginning with the Hua fight when he won the title, that five straight fights against current or former champions, or maybe that Amanda Nunes stretch, and there's two of them. But even those five fights, you had a Rocky Pennington or you had somebody else thrown in that takes away a little of the value. I'm not, you know, when he fought Tony, Tony was coming off the loss to Gaethje, but he still had something and had something to prove. I mean, he didn't even get finished, but then he finished in succession one after another of not only our favorite action heroes, but guys that are going to be considered, you know, all-time greats in, to some degree. You know, whether, uh, you know, whether the Chandler Poirier, or I'm sorry, whether the Chandler and guys like Gaethje, whether they end up winning the title or not, 
They've been right here. They've been through this. If you add the freight train that is Mahachev, and because of the promise to mother and father, which I respect, we're probably going to never see Habib versus uh, versus Charlie Olives. If he beats Habib's boy, who's on an 11-fight win streak, and kind of looks like Habib 2.0, although he's a little bit different, but still the domination is the same. The intention is the same. Damn. Because you're not. it's not just that he'd extend that win streak and add another fighter and go to six straight fights of just kind of escalating it's it's the career turnaround mixed in. It's the fact that he's made himself so dangerous on both sides of the game, right? He's he's an evolved fighter. He's grimy and, and, and finds ways to win, like in round two against Poirier when he covered his mouth and just laid on him. Uh, if he seriously, this, this I think this is as tough a challenge as he's had in this win streak. Seriously, because of the style contrast and everything. But what has Oliveira been able to do? tiptoe you know through the fire in just dramatic and ridiculous ways and by the way that same tiptoeing is what is making me want to you know bet against him here because it's like if anybody's gonna make you pay for that or neutralize that or not let you get into that chaos as we talked about it's certainly Mahachev but if he comes out and finishes Mahachev and you just add that on to the record for most finishes and most submissions damn we we just watched a guy, you know, completely evolve and butterfly in our face. He was always a good fighter, had some issues. Now he's one of the best fighters we've ever seen. Yeah, this is a big fight for Charlie Oliveira's reputation and legacy. And we a lot of us doubted him each step of the way. And here I am doubting him again. But we're gonna have to put a crown on his head. I don't know exactly what that crown is, but crown him because this is this is the big time. And even with missing weight, even with Habib retiring, didn't get to fight him. He's fighting everybody who's willing and able, and he's finishing them. Damn. Damn. He doesn't even tiptoe. He isn't even tiptoeing through the fire. He's freaking doing the disco shuffle through the fire. He's dancing. He's doing the worm through it. He loves it. Loves the fire. AK, I will ask you the same question, but I think BC opened the door for you to just sprint right through. He said, Habib ain't coming back. There you go. Legacy. What does this all mean? Go on your rant. <laughs> First of all. With respect to, you know, PJ Penn, Frankie Edgar, Habib, uh, Brian is not wrong that Charles Oliveira's current run is pretty damn incredible. Uh, I, I love PJ Penn. I'm a huge PJ Penn guy. Um, uh, and his resume still holds up. I know people will look back and go like, oh, Kenny Florian. And, like, and people don't remember Sean Shirk at all. But these were super high-level wins at the time. And he dominated these guys. Like he, he, he dominated Kenny Florian, dominated Sean Shirk. So uh, it, it really can't be stressed enough how what a powerful and great lightweight champion uh, PJ Penn was in his prime. He liked to bounce between weight classes. Um, there were certainly uh, questions about his motivation sometimes. So that that is like a dent in why if people want to say um, Charles Oliveira is ahead of him already, I don't blame you. This run Charles on is insane, and Charles also maybe not as dominant. But, I mean, the fact that he's finishing people in exciting fashion, I mean, that highlight reel looks pretty damn good when you throw it together. Uh, but, yes, the reason I'm, I'm so not pressed to declare that, uh, you know, oh, what Islam will become if he beats Charles or what Charles will become if he beats Islam is because we all know Charles will get the chance to definitively prove that he's the greatest lightweight of all time. Uh, the only question is, Mike, how quickly will Habib come out of retirement after Charles Oliveira chokes Islam unconscious? That is my question. That was the question I wanted wow. to bring up right at the beginning of this segment, but, but I, I wanted to respect the context of the question first. But now I'm going on my rant, as you said, I'm allowed to do. You can choke him out. Habib will be there. Yes, he's made his promises. 
he's a, he's a man of honor. He does not want to break a promise to his mother, the promise he made to his, his father. And uh, I, I understand this. He has said he has not said one time. He has not hinted at like any interview that he has any interest in coming back and fighting again. I get it. I I, I understand. I understand all these things, all these logical, truthful points that are constantly brought up to me. I think when he sees his boy get taken out by Del Bronx. And, and after Charles Oliveira, who has done a fine job of playing the heel, by the way, at times uh, during this Abu Dhabi fight week, stick with that heel attitude. Call him out. Choke Islam out and say, you're next, buddy. You're next. Get those fires burning within the eagle. Get those wings flapping again, as it were. Uh, he will fight. I have wanted to see him and Habib fight for so long. I am not giving up on making this happen. If Habib wants to stay retired, fantastic, good for him. He deserves it. He owes nothing to this business. But as a selfish, selfish, selfish fan, I need to see this fight happen. And I think he can do it if he brutalizes Islam. That's a tall order, but I've been riding this train for a while. I ain't getting off this train, Mike. We will see him fight Habib. Then all questions of who is the greatest lightweight of all time will be answered. We don't need to, we don't need to discuss it on any more shows ever again. Uh, it will be Charles if he beats Habib. I mean, amazing, right? Like, I'm always labeled as the romanticized pro wrestling fan storyteller in all my on-air relationships. But it's like, AK, if you're going to go the pro wrestling route, at least hammer it home and make it happen. I mean, the only way this Rocky Four scenario is going to play out, and I don't wish ill will on Mahachev, is if, you know, Creed's laying in, in, in Rocky's arms, basically, not a death. Whereas, you know, look, Oliver didn't sell this storyline. He hasn't been. If he had been doing a McGregor job on Habib and Islam and, and Dagestan in general and really being dirty and grimy and then finished him and then crotch chopped over his face. I mean, if you're going to go pro wrestling, really go pro wrestling. The way you set it up is too soft. And I don't know if you don't, don't understand Habib and what he comes from and what he stands for. And I'm not necessarily like some Habib, you know, super fan, the greatest guy of all time and the greatest fighter. But... When he made that promise to mother and father, he fucking meant that shit. I mean, you better believe that. He walked away at the peak of his earning and commercial prime from the rub of the McGregor mixed with this run of unbeatenness. So he's only going to come back if his if his boy gets, you know, embarrassed and destroyed. That's not, you know, it's just not going to happen, okay? There's a little too much pro wrestling there. He respects that too much. Is the competitor in Habib, um, personally, do I think, upset a little bit that Charles Oliver is getting all this pub immediately after he walked away when – all this generation, why do we have this, this stereotype that Charles Oliveira is a quitter? Because all these guys came up with him and they watched him, you know, lose and miss Wade and quote unquote be a quitter. So they don't have a great, you know, uh, respect for him in that regard. Well, if he beats Machev, they're going to start talking about him higher. But I think even those, you know, comparisons, Habib knows what he accomplished. He knows at the end of the day, he has the wild card in the back of his pocket because he walked away when he still had it before he fully accomplished everything. Yet, and this might be why the great Kurt Cobain is, you know, considered one of the greatest songwriters and changed the history of rock and roll. Although for all we know, he could have put out, you know, some 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 fat albums for the next few years and put Courtney on there and they could have been awful, you know. But he walked away under bad circumstances at the peak of his powers, too. Habib's always going to have that in a debate of greatest lightweight. And while I love me some BJ Penn, you said there's a dent in the argument for him. Well, there's a major dent because he 
largely stayed between two divisions, which is why it's hard to call him the greatest lightweight or the greatest welterweight of all time. If we're going to put him in that conversation for number one for lightweight, then I think I got to be allowed to bring up Randy Couture again as greatest heavyweight. Because every time I do that, people laugh at me. It's the romanticized, you know, old guy uh, who who was a warrior and was everything we used to love about the sport. Of course, right? And, you know, and he's still fighting at the Lava Shack. You can pull up and check it out, you know, outside of the governor race. But uh, if Charles wins this, yeah, he's in the conversation, you know, with Habib for greatest lightweight. And, and shout out to Frankie Edgar, too. But... That ain't enough to get Habib to turn back. He walked away on top. Dana courted him for six months with milk boys bags and balls, probably. <laughs> he, courted, he probably was ready to sacrifice animals in front of him, do whatever it took to get this guy back. He's not going to break, okay? He's not going to break. And by the way, when Mahachev wins on Saturday, I think he's going to win. I'm not here against Charles Oliver. If he wins, I can't wait. Fantastic. Six in a row at this level. Just so stupid. His win streak's insane. But if Mahachev wins... You know they're getting Connor up in the bullpen and trying to build to that and do the Habib thing all over again. Okay, you know that. Okay, Habib's not walking through oh. that door. He's a coach now. He's a promoter. All right. I mean, come on. You know, I love me some pro wrestling, but it's going to take a lot more than him choking out Mahachev to win. No, Habib's staying put. All right. Yeah. What are we doing? I, I just want to say I I stopped short of booking a fatality to make my fantasy matchup between Oliveira and Habib happen. That's that's a line I wasn't willing to cross. Uh, so I concede that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the other, the other thing I wanted to bring up uh, with with Habib is, yeah, he went out on top, and that's great. But here's a, here's the problem with MMA, and we have talked about this on many other shows. Uh, MMA, unfortunately, in large part, is terrible at respecting and maintaining its history. So yes, we talk about the Randy Couture's. Yes, we talk about the GSPs. We talk about the BJ Penzes, the BJ Pen Pens, the BJ anyway, the BJs. Uh, but within two years. Someone else comes along and without even having to fight those people, puts together a run and people are talking about this is what's happening with Charles Oliveira now. Now, Habib is recent enough and he's been in headlines enough and he still comes up in discussions enough that sure, he's still, you know, people will uh, rightfully, you know, maintain he's, he's the best lightweight. But give it another year, give it another 18 months and people just forget. Again, this, this industry is so, so bad at, at preserving its, its past champions and I don't know if that will bother Khabib at all. He might not care, but going out on top in in uh, MMA and combat sports really in general is is a temporary thing. It's a nice thing to do. It's it's again, it's great that Khabib did it, but that should not be enough. I feel like or it won't be enough to satisfy him when all this Charles Oliveira is the greatest talk or whoever or or uh, uh, if if Islam beats him, then someone else comes along and beats Islam, and then they take the talk. Maybe it's not Charles. Maybe it's someone else. But uh, I am maintaining that it will be Charles. Uh, and then we are going to get that fight with Habib. So I, I won't back down from it. Uh, as as neat as a Habib story right. would be that we just put a bow on it. I don't I don't think I don't think there's a bow on it. Can I cut back in one second here? Can we do can we pop a myth? Look, I'm always out there to tell you when Dana White screws up or when the UFC is being overlords and all that. But can we chill on the MMA doesn't recognize or love its past there? Like, you know, idea. Here's why that's false. OK, there's two major reasons. One. Sports only been around for like 28 years, right? And it's evolving so quickly that it's impossible to hold Hoist Gracie up. It's like saying, you know, Babe Ruth compared to Barry Bonds. You know, you can't make that comparison. The sport is changing so fast and GSP ushered in an era of actual formed, fully formed mixed martial artists. It's happening so fast in front of us. But number two, the real reason is because Dana White and company hate recognizing that there was a past, not only before they bought the company and pushed SEG and everyone who ever succeeded there out, 
but they really love to play and, and, and hoist up the people that have come to prominence, like in their very recent modern era to show, you know, like, look at us. And so, you know, BJ Penns and Randy Couture's that came from the other generation don't get that same, you know, treatment and documentaries on them and, and always, you know, compared to them. Uh, so that's really the, that sets a tone at the top. I don't think any of us have any problem remembering and bringing up names when they're good, but this sport has changed so quick that it is, it is becoming harder to even look back at guys in Penn's era, for example, even though he had a lot of badass qualities that would have been timeless and legitimately try to compare them to guys now. Habib's tapping all those guys, only he's not going to tap them ever again because he's retired. He's not taking the money. <laughs> he's not taking anything. He respects well, listen, mother can... and father. Respect that for him. I, I cannot wait for this fight. I cannot wait for this fight. All of these burning questions we have will be answered for the most part. But there's a lot more meat to this bone that is UFC 280. So the point for round two goes to I gotta say, AK was clearly watching too much AEW. So when BC oh. came back and fired back his retort, I'm like, all right, he's cruising to a round here. And then he threw the Connor thing out. And I'm like, damn it, BC's watching AEW too. But it wasn't <laughs> enough. BC gets the round, it's one to one. See, that's not pro wrestling. Listen, that's business. And you know this, Mike Heck. You know business at the end of the day, okay? You're from New England. You get it, all right? Yeah, well, I have no interest in seeing that. Look, no. Charles listen, and I, Connor, I, just, I think there's a better chance of that happening. I was just trying to honor the great Chris Jericho uh, with my with my promo. Mike, oh. your favorite wrestler. Your favorite wrestler in the business. Love Chris Jericho. I know you do, too. So uh, just, you know, I hope, I hope you have that in mind for the rest of the show. No, you didn't say I'm the best. I need to be booked in the top spots. I need to be in every main event. That's Chris Jericho. But let's talk the rest of the card or as much time as we are allowed here. Co-main event, Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. BC, this fight on paper is really interesting. But you know what? No one's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. Everyone's talking about the fight that precedes it in the same division between Piotr Jan and Sean O'Malley. Things got a little dicey after the presser between those two guys, so I see that trend continuing on. But this title fight, which stylistically is super intriguing, why is this flying under the radar so much? And what are your thoughts on the matchup itself? I mean, okay, maybe because both personalities, I mean, they, they can get, both personalities can talk a little bit and they've been a part of trash talk builds. Garbrandt, TJ has been great, but you know, neither one has, has really stood on the, the, the podium and, and played any sort of pre-fight hype to a certain level. There's been a little good back and forth, but I think compared with, look, Mahachev could get stamped literally the next could be right in front of our eyes if he wins against Charles, who is so popular, rightfully so right now, and on such momentum. You add the O'Malley factor in there. You add a loaded card. Maybe you add that, even though I just knocked over my light, but uh, this <laughs> this fight card is a, um, you know, it's, it's a hardcore fan's dream, but on the same commercial level, I mean, it just doesn't have that one commercial figure. So I think it's been very split across the board in terms of each fight or each individual getting a high amount of love. This, this is among the best fights you can make in the entire sport. And it's getting hidden here, and it's going to be a gift to all of us in the co-main event spot. And it's got one of those kind of cool narratives where it's current champion against former champion who technically never lost his belt. Now, any analysis I'm going to make about TJ Dillashaw is largely going to be po positive because I felt even during his run in and out of title wins that people have always kind of underrated him and not realized how great he is. And when I do that, you'll come back and say drug test. And I'll say, yes, you're right. And I'll also say that he did his time. And I'll also say that there's something ridiculous about this guy that I don't think he gets credit for at the end of the day.
he wants to win so freaking badly that yeah, he'll he'll be a filthy cheater. And I think he's cheated probably a lot more than the times he's gotten caught. And I think most of our heroes, even on this card, are probably cheating too. Because if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And sometimes you gotta stay up with the others. But even if we want to live and believe that the only people that do drugs are the ones that fail, even with that separate, let's give respect to who TJ is. He's 36. He just sat out two years after getting knocked out by Cejudo in a fight he shouldn't have taken, but he's so damn competitive and so about it that he did it. And then he came back and destroyed his knee in the first round against Sanhagen and not only wins this, okay, disputed, but this gnarly badass fight has to just be so grimy and change his game plan and lean on strength and just find a freaking way to win. And he did that. And then he missed a year again and had double shoulder surgery and knee surgery. And now he's back shredded like he took every single drug. And if he did, then more, you know, if he could pass, then more, more props to you. And I think, look, the odds are basically telling you to pick him. Aljo's a slight favorite. It's not getting the love, maybe, be, maybe for all the reasons I said, but it should. And if Aljo wins this and on the run he's been on and having put that DQ away and changed the way we talk about and look at him from what he did against Jan in the rematch, I mean, look, this he's, he's among the pound for pound best in the world. But if TJ wins at 36, overcoming all those hurdles and is now a three-time champion, as much as podcast listeners, podcast listeners freaking hate when we fill time every other day by trying to say, does this fight does declare the GOAT in this weight class? We just did that with freaking Oliveira. Well, I think TJ's the greatest man in weight of all time if he wins here. And you're always going to have the drug test. And I never even thought he lost to Dominic Cruz. I never thought he lost to a Sun Sal. He's been great. And he's still great. And it's a little bit scary. And I think he's going to win on Saturday. And maybe it won't get the love it, it should. But to me, this is the biggest potential storyline. I mean, O'Malley winning by knockout and getting a title shot and fulfilling his you know march and rise would be pretty damn compelling. But I think TJ Dillashaw's got a chance against a guy who's criminally underrated in Sterling. But yet when you match up the styles, you match up the grittiness between them, and you look at the fact that if TJ's body doesn't fail him in getting there – he very much can win this fight and can potentially neutralize Sterling and kind of make him look one-dimensional in ways that even Jan couldn't when Sterling was constantly on his back. I don't think you're going to see that with Dillashaw. He's got a chance to win this weekend, and I think this story, it's always going to be jaded with the drug use. Even if he's using, it's still pretty damn incredible. At 36, watch out. This is big business to me on Saturday in terms of history and legacies here. TJ's all in, man. All freaking in. Aljamain Sterling, minus 175 favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings. Dillashaw, plus 150 dog. I'm stunned that the line is this wide for Aljo. Like, it's not like minus 800, but it's still, I thought TJ would be lying closer, maybe be the favorite here, AK. So why do you think this fight, AK, is not getting this much? To, is it because there's no emotional attachment to either guy? Because it's like heel versus heel. No one, even when Aljo becomes the baby face, he does stuff and it like takes that down. Like, what is it? And do you agree with BC that if TJ Dillashaw wins this fight and becomes a three-time Bantamweight champion, is he the greatest Bantamweight of all time? Uh, I'll say like even, I say he does need to win this to cement it. I think in my eyes, he kind of already is. I thought he won the Cruz fight. Then again, you can make an argument. He lost the Sanhagen fight, which is, you know, a, a bit of a blemish now, but um, I'll, 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 I'll get to that more in a second. I want to say that why people aren't interested it sucks because skill-wise, 
amazing fight. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Uh, both guys, super well-rounded mixed martial artists, but also have specialties. You know, Aljo, well-rounded, amazing grappler, great wrestler. Uh, TJ Dillashaw has great wrestling too, but has become, you know, one of the best strikers in a division full of incredible strikers. Uh, has knockout power and all that. So they, they've got distinct in-cage identities. They also have distinct out-of-the-cage identities, unfortunately, uh, and they, they both uh, pretty complicated their their sort of reputations and legacies. Uh, and I wish it was more simple because Aljo, for the longest time, was like unappreciated. I think people forget when he couldn't even get on like a main card for whatever reason. The UFC just would not book him on a main card. This is a young guy uh, who appeals who has, I think appeals to a different demographic than uh, than that, that the UFC should be interested in. Good-looking guy, very comfortable on the mic. Uh, not always a super exciting fighting style, but definitely an exciting grappler. Some of his stand-up battles a little forgettable. That's fine, but generally a pretty a pretty decent highlight reel. I couldn't understand for the longest time why they weren't pushing him, and I think other fans of Aljamain Sterling felt the same way. So there was an underdog element to him there. Then he becomes he fights with a title shot, becomes the champion, but the way he becomes champion tarnishes him forever. There is a segment of fans now who will always view him as the actor, as the guy who won the title by DQ. And, and he has to own that. That's fine. That is how it happened. That's how, that's how it went down. Again, I never blamed him for not continuing after that knee. Uh, there's a large portion of fans who will always, always think that he, he, he took a shortcut to winning a title, which I think is incredibly unfair. But that is a narrative that exists. I can't deny it's not there. And then it looms over his entire title run. Even after a, a very good second fight with Piotr Jan, uh, which some people felt he lost, um, there's still this view that he's just not the real champion. The stuff with Andrew Tate that happened this week, whatever, mileage may vary. Like, again, I think it's awful, but there's, let's be honest, there are fans who probably like him more after that. There are some MMA fans who are very much into that sort of thing and probably support Alger even more. So to say that's a mark on his name, I don't know. I think it is. That's, that's more of the subjective opinion thing. TJ, on the other side, should also be an incredible story. A two-time champion uh, who, again, is in, in the later stages of his career, coming back to get his chance to fight for the title. The only problem is he's coming back from a drug, a, a, you know, a drug suspension, one that he admitted to, but it doesn't matter. It's like someone running around, like if they admitted to, oh, I like kicking people in the groin, and yeah, I've been kicking people in the groin for years, and I admitted to it. It's like you're still kicking people in the groin. You're still, you're still a jerk. You're still a jerk. So he still cheated. I don't care that he admitted it. Um, you could speculate whether he cheated in other fights. That's fine. We know he tested positive for this one fight, and that's a mark on him. And and it, and it should be inspirational. UFC has tried to push it that way. They did a whole documentary on Fight Pass about his 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 return, the, this champion returning and having, having to come back from this 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 uh, this this you know trial that he's responsible for. And so that's a big reason is is it should be two guys with inspirational stories, but it's not. It's two guys who we know very much um, why they are in the positions they're in, why people view them the way they do. Uh, and it's kind of hard to get into that. So I love the fight on paper, but I don't blame people at all for going like, I don't like either of these guys and I don't care who wins. I just want to see um, who fights them out of the uh, Piotr Jan Sean O'Malley fight. <laughs> now, for the sake of time, I was going to talk a little bit about Jan O'Malley. Everyone's talking about that fight, so I want to give you gentlemen the opportunity to shout out another fight. So, AK, we're going to start with you. Outside of the top three fights, what's the best fight on the card? Which one are you personally looking forward to the most? Which one do you have the most questions about, and why? Uh, I don't know. Want to say, I don't want to say this will be the best fight. It might not be super entertaining, though. I think uh, if she wins, I think she, I think it will be because it is an entertaining fight. So I am talking about uh, Manon Fierro and uh, Caitlin Chukagian. Uh, we talked about at the top of the show how tricky Chukagian is, but again, I think power punchers, people with a big 
athleticism advantage uh, ha- can, can fare very well against her. I think both those uh, traits are, are uh, Manon Firo has them. I think she's a great athlete. I think she hits really hard. Um, I just think she'll, if it if it's a striking battle and all of Chihuahua's fights are, I think Firo can do more damage, can put on a more convincing uh, performance, will be more aggressive. And I want to see that. And the other thing is, I think she's the most guaranteed to get a title shot. I know people are saying Sean O'Malley. His division, though, is so deep. I still think something weird could happen. He also gets... Uh, gets hurt quite a bit um he could win the fight and still be out and then be out for like six months he suffers little injuries here and there um would not surprise me if he goes five rounds Piotr Jan and comes out a little a little worse for wear so for me it's it's Manon who is has the most to gain is guaranteed a title shot Benil Dariush I wish it was the case with him again the four guys the most tragic lightweight ever he may never get it he could he could knock out Gamrot in 30 seconds and probably still not get a title shot um so yeah, so I'm, I'm going with Manon. Uh, there's there's also a little bit of mystery there still. Like we've seen her enough, but she's only like ten fights into her pro career, so we we still don't know quite know who she is yet. Um, she's a bit up there in age, but as far as MMA years go, pretty youthful. Uh, so it, it's possible. Listen, this could be a classic 29-28 Chukagian win, and and I'm and I'm blowing all this smoke for nothing. But uh, I I'm a believer that uh, Fiorel can put on a show. And that's why this fight is so intriguing to me because I do think if anyone's guaranteed a title shot, it is uh, it is the French this French prospect. BC, do you agree with that, or is there something else that stands out? No, I mean I certainly agree that 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 has the biggest stakes. You know, from the below the O'Malley fight down, that's the most important one. But the best fight and the most intriguing one is the featured prelim bout in the welterweight division: Sean Brady, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, this is a fun division again and a crowded, uncertain, you know, cloudy uh, title picture at the moment. And is Chemayev going to be a middleweight or a welterweight? And are we getting this trilogy bout? And there's this next generation of fighters who are ready to move in. And Bilal's been here for a while, but is still looking for that big breakthrough when Sean Brady is less accomplished, but is coming on at 15 and 0. This is a, this would be a badass fight night main event. I mean, this could, this, God, this be a, this could even be a, a, a mid-level pay-per-view co-main event. It's such a great fight. And I love this type of storyline when you got Bilal going, okay, I got this aggressive wrestler coming in. So, you know, I'm going to probably call up Ali at Dominance and, you know, and oh, okay, he'll be, you busy that night? You want to train me too for this? I mean, that's very intriguing because this is such a style contrast to begin with, with uh, Sean Brady's wrestling against Bilal's striking and pace. And now you add in the Habib factor, whether that means nothing or it's just pro wrestling salacious. You know, I'm down for that for sure. But, you know, we had Sean Brady on our Morning Combat Room Service Diary show. And, you know, there's substances acquired and used during that show by some members of of the staff and and team. And, you know, I made this bet where if he wins his next fight against a top 10 guy, I give up my fare of needles and get a tattoo in Philadelphia with him after eating tacos. (laughs) So, um, you know, I like needles as much as i like black licorice and you know chicks with tattoos you know i, I don't like them at all in fact you know they're, they're spiders too i mean these are some of the worst things in life but uh you know i'm gonna go under the needle if sean brady does this and i think as good as sean brady has looked he also has to answer big stuff too you know is he a guy that 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 can fade late was that kiesa fight a advertisement or a harbinger of dude to doom to come or is this guy just so gritty and dialed in and such a hard worker where if he can make this a fight in his direction can it be one-sided can he make this leap this is a badass fight guys with two very hungry competitors on either side so uh this this has potential to maybe not win the night with the names we have above it but to, to the winner being able to make a big ass leap into the top there so i'm looking forward to it 
Love that fight. Two incredibly defensively sound wrestlers. So I wonder if we're just going to see 15 minutes of face punching. There's a lot of interest in this fight. I can't wait to see it. So much greatness on one card. I just love it so much. And don't forget, we can all watch the main card together on Saturday. UFC 280 Watch Party. Myself, GC, Connor Burke, some special guests starting at 145 Eastern on this here channel. It's going to be ridiculously fun. We move ahead to another piece of news. Thank you. That has people talking. The point for round three goes to... He might fear needles, but he doesn't fear AK. BC, no, it's two to no, one. I don't. I don't and I, I won't. Don't. But that- The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. All right, so this has nothing to do with UFC 280. We found out last week, I believe, about eight days ago, maybe a little less, the rematch for the light heavyweight title between Yuri Prohaska and Glover Teixeira is going down. UFC 282 in December. First fight was incredible. Second fight still very interesting. But we don't know if it is going to be the main event or not. This card also currently has fights. Let me pull it up. Like Jan Bohovich and Magomed Ankh Alive, Darren Till versus DDP, Drinkus Duplessis, Bo Nichols debut, and some other doozies as well. But could there be another big one added? So we've been talking about this for a while. Ariel Hawani reported on the MA Hour that the UFC is making one last big push to try to get John Jones on this card. Now, Francis Ngannou is not going to happen because the dude just had knee surgery. It's going to be almost impossible to get him on this card. Plus the contract stuff, etc way too risky so the idea would be if they had their druthers john jones versus stipe miacic on this card if we can get everybody together if the finances are right i have thoughts and lots of them about this idea and i'll put those out there in a moment but ak i want to begin with you does this ufc 282 card as it stands year-end pay-per-view does this need john jones and the ufc doesn't need listen i think if there's anything Excuse me. I think it's with anything we've discovered during John Jones's absence is they don't need him for anything. Um, I don't know if, if, you know, there was a time where fans thought like, man, we like, you know, when he announced the heavyweight thing, there was certainly a lot of anticipation. I mean, there still is, you know, whenever a fight actually comes anywhere close to being a reality, we might kind of get that excitement again. Cause listen, this guy is the greatest. I think if you, if you don't care about uh, the, the cheating, which he did. I think he's still the greatest fighter I've ever seen. The guy, uh, the guy just has the complete skill set. He's a great athlete. My, 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 my prototype example of man, if athletes from, if, an, if a high level athlete that would normally go into another sport went into MMA and dedicate their life to MMA, this is what you'd get. That's what John Jones is. And again, we saw how great he could be. Again, he's not just athleticism. 
It's his in-cage IQ. It's his ability to learn, his ability to pick up skills, his ability to execute those skills, um, his ability to exploit his opponent's weaknesses, to attack his opponent's strengths, both. He's, he's great at both. So even saying it, I'm getting a little excited yet. I to remind myself, we are four months away, four or five months away from it being three years since John Jones has fought. And you could really, the numbers show it. The UFC has only grown since that time. Uh, TV deals, sponsorships, exp- uh, social media, chatter, exposure, all these things. Um, they're working with The Rock now. You know what I mean? They have an apparel deal with The Rock. Does it sound like they're missing John Jones? Does it sound like they need John Jones for anything? Um, UFC 282, again, now we're just looking at, you know, I, for, for a hardcore fan, I mean, to share a Prochka, that's all you need. I mean, a rematch of one of the dumbest, best, most fun fights ever. In a perfect world, this would sell a million, you know, ESPN plus whatever pay-per-view buys. I, I don't know. I don't have that in Canada. I don't know if you guys measure that. We know that's not going to happen. So if you're someone who still cares with that sort of traditional metric of pay-per-view buys, yeah, you're going to feel a little bit uh, a little bit bummed out uh, at the end of the year if you're a UFC bean counter and you see, oh, well, this thing barely made 500000 or or even less. But the UFC train is just keeps chugging along. It's going to keep, whether it has John Jones or not, whether it has Francis Ngannou or not. Again, two guys who people would, whether they're fighting each other or they're fighting Stipe or someone else in the heavyweight division, people would love to see these guys compete. But do they need to see them compete? No. And that is how the UFC machine works, right? We, no. we know this now. We know this now. So I don't think UFC 282 needs no. him at all. And personally, I'm so, I, I, even despite I just wax poetic about him, <laughs> I'm pretty over. I'm pretty over this whole John Jones thing. So I'll be excited when he comes back. And if he never does, happy trails. Look, Alex, that is such a safe and soft take. You're not soft, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I can't reach around and <laughs> a little here, bit, but I, you, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's such a soft take that does not actually represent what the UFC stands for and the type of business moves they make. Meaning, yeah, okay, you could say, you know, they're, they're sponsorships through the roof. They got this crazy ESPN deal. They're growing everywhere. But do you know what they lust for, rightfully so? The super fight. We haven't had, it's great as being an MMA fan is and being a UFC fan. The delivery of constant hardcore fan dream fights you know, pretty loaded pay-per-views, although there's a stinker here and there. We all know that. I mean, pretty good fight night main events, a card every weekend. That stuff's all great. But that stuff doesn't activate that one group of people who is the the, the real gold mine, the casual fan, right? You know, Conor McGregor, it's been a minute since he's, you know, he fought Poirier twice and that was big business. But it's been a while, really, since Conor Habib, the biggest super fight in MMA history, since we've really had one of those can't miss, don't have to explain the backstories to a casual fans. Everybody knows these guys and there's enough either history or bad blood or both mixed together with the star power and the stakes to make this one of those freaking fights, right? Cormier versus Jones was one of those freaking fights. We haven't really had those in a while. That's UFC got to this point to where they have deals with Disney and ESPN because they know how to set the stage for those big swings and go after them. Does this card need John Jones? Well, I think for a couple of reasons, yes, separate from that. Number one, John's got to shit or get off the pot. We've been waiting a while. And when he originally announced, we're like, oh, my God, he might win the heavyweight title tomorrow. And then Ngannou kind of became Ngannou 2.0. And then, I mean, there's, we've been through the emotional roller coaster already. It's time. Let's get him in the damn cage. Let's do this thing. He appears to be healthy and ready. What the hell are we doing? Is there a secret conspiracy suspension he had to serve? I mean, what the hell's going on here? Number two. 
I used to like to live in a day when UFC had majors, and they still kind of do, right? And, you know, New York City in November is a major. International Fight Week in July is a major. There's normally a March or April card, either Vegas or in Brooklyn for a while, that are majors. Well, you know, Vegas in December is a major to me. So let's get this on there. But back to my discussion about super fights. I need John to main event this card in an interim title fight against arguably the greatest heavyweight champion of all time in Stipe Miocic. I don't feel like Ngannou's fully ready, not just the health of turning the knee around, but are they really there? Have they re-signed? Is Ngannou going to re-sign if he doesn't get the chance to box Fury? What the hell is that going to look like? But if John goes in there and fights Stipe, and God, this is must-see TV. This is not the crossover fan fight I'm talking about. If John wins the championship, the heavyweight interim championship in this fight, and then we start banging the drum for John Jones versus Ngannou. Not only is that going to probably pull Ngannou back in no matter what, am I wrong here? I know that each guy separately hasn't been an overwhelming pay-per-view draw, but this is history. The current champ against the greatest fighter of all time who just moved up and won an interim title. And I know UFC doesn't do this because they don't think the production looks the same compared to an NBA arena. This is the type of fight you put in Raider Stadium in Vegas and make it a thing. They will come. This will matter. I think if you're UFC, just like I made that suggestion, no one wanted to hear that if Mahachev wins, we're starting to build the, we're starting to see where Connor's at and if we can make that fight. I think Jones and Ganu is the fight historically sell a million plus pay-per-view buys, really get the casual fan into it. So yes, you can't get there in my opinion. Let's get John in there. Let's let him debut at heavyweight. Great fight with Stipe, a lot of history on the line. Jones versus Ngannou was where it's at. And they have the smart people in that war room who can see that and above and build to it. We're not going to play it soft and be like, oh, we've given the fans you know, good enough this year. Let's just give them that yearly fight. No, that, that type of attitude leaves you as maybe the third or, or second, if you're lucky, best MMA promotion of the moment. UFC is where it's at because there's a bunch of freaking uh, aggros in there you know, with, with art in their office of a machine gun that has cocaine in it and all kind of weird shit and naked ladies on the walls. They think differently. They make fights like Jones and Ganu. Let's make it. Okay. This is the this is the this is the sex. Mike, I know that's a term you use a lot. This is the sex. Okay. Let's 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 enjoy it. Okay. So much like your Islam Conor McGregor thing, I disagree with you here, but not like what we're getting towards. Okay. I understand this. I don't, and I'm talking about John fighting in December. And I'm I'm talking about John versus Stipe. I don't like this idea and I don't use the word hate that often, but I'm tiptoeing that line. And here's why from all accounts. And I've talked to people about this as well from everything that I've been told and from everything that's out there, Francis Ngannou, if he resigns and it's looking more likely than not currently, he will very likely be ready for March. The UFC is aware of this. They think March sounds like a good time. We have waited all this time to get to this point, to get to Francis versus Jones. And now that it's pretty much right there, we're six months away from there being a very good chance it happens. We're going to entertain this other idea of doing John Jones versus Stipe. Now, I'm not a moron, BC. I'm not a moron. If the UFC puts this fight together, I'm going to watch it. It gives a big jolt to this card. But I'll be watching it like this, biting my fingernails because it's just so damn risky to me. Because what if Stipe wins? What if he wins? Sure, you could do the trilogy fight with Francis, but after watching what happened the last time they fought, not a ton of people are clamoring for that. And I don't even know how much interest Stipe Miocic has in fighting in general. If you did this fight in September or earlier in the year with everything with Francis' contract in a weird spot, sure, I understand it a little bit more. But to try to rush this fight 
to put it on this card with the hope that both guys make it to the fight, that nothing falls through, no one gets arrested, no one bitches about a contract, and that it goes perfectly for business, and that John Jones wins and comes out relatively unscathed. You are asking the MMA gods to do a lot here. To me, BC, and I'd love to hear your reaction. We've waited almost three years for John Jones to come back. We've waited almost three years for John Jones to come back to fight Francis Ngannou and be a heavyweight. What's three more months? What's three more months? Okay. Why do we have to do this now? I, I like that argument because I'm making that same argument in boxing right now about Tyson Fury's coming back for a stay busy against Derek Chisora in a third fight. He already beat him twice, and he was talking about fighting Joshua. Dude, fight Usyk for the four belts. He's going to be ready in March. <laughs> fight him, right? But I think in this case, it's a little different to me. This is why this is why they get paid the big bucks to make these decisions, meaning in that war room, if they are going to do my idea and put Jones in against Stipe, then something about the research they've done has to let them know that they believe Jones will win that fight and that it'll still be a big deal in a major pay-per-view and it will still get us to Ngannou. In fact, I believe if they do that and Jones wins that interim title, that kind of puts the pressure on Ngannou to go, oh shit, I lost a little bit of leverage. I got I, I should. I should make this now. My opinion there. But I got a fix for you. I've always got a fix for you. Wait, there's more. Okay, what if they agree more with you? What if somebody raises their hand in the back and says, hey, guys, you know, what if Stipe wins? How about this for a main event, December, same pay-per-view? John Jones makes his heavyweight debut. No, not in an interim title bout against Tai Tuivasa. I always said I mean, it would be Brock Lesnar. I always said from 2012 into about probably last year, when John makes the heavyweight debut, you give him Lesnar. He's going to look great. He's going to knock him out. The whole world will watch it. Tuivasa is not, Le- not Lesnar, but Derek Lewis is down at the moment. Dude, Tuivasa versus John Jones as a replacement to your to the to the scared part of your brain that won't let you realize that Jones is going to beat Stipe and then we're going to fight Francis in a football stadium. How do you how do you feel that, Mike? I mean, I hate it. I hate it less. I'll say that. I'll hate it. Less. Mike, I hate now, it less. Mike, now, now he's he's threatening us with a good time. Now, now, uh, now I'm, I, Brian. I, I, this, I like you. There's a re- there's a reason. I don't care what people say about you. I, I I knew there's a reason. I knew there's a reason I liked you. I don't care what people say about. You. I knew there's a reason I liked you. If anyone knows, I'm a huge Tai Tuivasa fan. I want him to get all the big fights. For him to be rewarded for his again, just his Tai Tuivasa ness with a John Jones fight would be so spectacular and so fun. Uh. It, it it goes a little bit against your point of the whole UFC. I feel like, I don't know. We, we started off talking about UFC super fights. This certainly would not be that. I think this might be the opposite of that. It would be like a hardcore fan's delight. So I'm with you. I do wonder now how we gone outside the criteria of, uh, of the original question, uh, question outside of the, the BTL parameters, uh, as it were. But I do, I do. Yes. You, you bring up Tai Tuivasa in any situation. I'm almost always going to say yes. So you might be onto something there. You, I don't want, I'm not trying to concede a point here. I'm just saying you might be onto something. AK, is this, is this idea of John Jones versus Steve a bad one? Is it a bad yes. idea? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Steve, gosh, I, he's a, he's such a weird guy to judge because, uh, again, fan perspective, a little frustrating at times to see kind of how inactive he is. He doesn't always want to play the UFC promotional game. On the other hand, how can you not respect that? This is a guy who wants to make the most money he can in a division where you take a lot of damage in your fights. He's been in there with some super heavy power punchers. Why should he be rushing in there to fight like every three, three, you know, three uh, times a year? 
he should like it's just not logical and especially if the compensation isn't there he's talked openly about his negotiations with the ufc about wishing you know they paid a little more money um, especially when you're not the champ when you don't have the belt anymore um so i i i can't blame him um i i think he, obviously if he gets that john jones fight he would be compensated at a championship level i would hope um this is assuming that you know francis gun is not gone they don't create some interim title or something just to just to, just to do it just to do it um but yeah, on paper, it just doesn't like intrigue me that much. I'm with you, Mike, on sort of the risk on what 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 happens to the the does it kill the John Jones heavyweight journey before it begins? Uh, if Stipe takes care of business and and does what he does as as a former champion and just beats John Jones, if John Jones beats him, it's great. It theoretically sets up a bunch of future fights. But again, there's so much uncertainty at the top. We don't know if that gives us the Nganu fight. I mean, that fight, by all accounts, should happen. Everyone wants to see it. Probably the number one fight I would imagine most people want to see happen in the UFC. Um, but it's just we just don't know if it gets us there. So it's a dangerous fight. It has it has a, 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 a just very very little upside. Um, the only benefit is we would at least finally get to see John Jones um, at heavyweight. But boy, do you want to throw him into the fires right away? Oh come on! Oh come on! I couldn't ever. disagree I more. I don't know. It- it would give John the most amount of insane, instant critical respect. He not only if he wins, get the interim title, he beat the guy that we used to say was the greatest heavyweight champion in, in history. And also with the layoffs with Stipe, and obviously if you're going to back John here, you can't overlook the freaking layoff he's on. It's the longest I've ever been around. But Stipe hasn't been active. To your point, he's been in brutal wars. And the way Stipe wins fights, look, he's not going to dominate John wrestling. I mean, could could they get into a war and he get and he can knock John out? Of course, but John's not going to will. John's not going to fall apart. John's got a backbone, which is why he's been able to live so dangerously outside and then come in the cage and act like it's never happened and win those type of hellacious fights when he needs to go there. I think this is probably the wrong matchup for Cipe style-wise if John is plugged in and ready and is able to bring that speed and length to this division and strike with him. Plus, it's a huge fight with huge, you know, all that. I mean, come on, come on. Let's not, you know, it's not – is it dangerous if the idea is Ngannou? Maybe, but oh, by the way, John could beat Stipe and Ngannou could still be feeling a certain way and not resign, but then all you have to do is put John Jones versus Cyril Gaon at the Eiffel Tower, and we're back, big business again. So look, the UFC is going to win in the end, no matter what. That's why they don't they don't need to be scared about making fights that could you know ruin. They got to be smart, but not scared, fellas. Come on, these guys are savvy. All right, this was, I'm I'm savvy. I'm on. This is this is very savvy right now. Yeah, it's just an awful lot of uh, awful lot of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But we got to move on because I do have to pick my child up at school in a little while. The point for round four goes to I don't remember what exactly we all talked about, but I'm giving it to AK just so we can go to a final question because I am very excited. I am very excited to discuss potentially either of these topics. So. Time for the knockout round. One question decides it all. Each individual have one minute to give their response, and then we'll turn it over to you, the peeps. You will vote for the winner. Judge it in the poll. Cast your votes. We'll announce the winner in a matter of moments. AK, you're coming off the win here. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going first? We pass it over to BC? What are we thinking? Let me see, Mike. You know, I, I always go first, but when you're facing someone like as as dastardly and sinister as Brian Campbell, you may have to rethink. You know, who am I kidding? I'm going first. Give me the give. It, let me go. <laughs> let me go. Come on. All right. So we've had two very weird, bizarre, interesting stories that have kind of flown under the radar. So 
We're going to play a little game of what's the bigger story, AK? What's the bigger story? Option one, the Nevada Athletic Commission approving a Dana White run power slap league. And if you choose that, what you're interested in, what do you think of it? Or the UFC adding to their, put me back on screen, Casey, put me back on screen. Put me back on screen. I got the quotes up. Code of conduct, code of conduct that UFC fighters, coaches, et cetera, can no longer gamble on UFC fights. What's the bigger story and why? One minute on the clock. Go. The bigger story right now is, is the slap fighting. I mean, this is, uh, this is not good. This is not good. Uh, people know I run, uh, uh, and, and I used to run with Jed Mishu, this, this feature on MMA fighting called Miss Fists. And we love the freakishness of MMA and combat sports and the oddities. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we actually never featured, I shouldn't say that, we probably have featured slap fighting at some point. Uh, this is nasty business, man. It has been approved by the Nevada Commission. Um, that does not mean it's going to happen everywhere. Yeah, the ABC has its own you know, jurisdiction. But in Nevada, yes, we will have Dana White's Power Slap League. And yes, the jokes have made having Dana White's name, his last name next to the word power, maybe not the smartest business decision. That's a problem. Um, but it's it, it's not just uh, how objectionable it is that a thing's going to have people talking. I, I, I admit this does kind of open the door for the UFC to expand and have other kind of weird side projects under its, porf- under its portfolio. And while I hate slap fighting, this is kind of a cool thing and a great use for the uh, for the UFC Apex now that uh, they're, they're branching out again. So uh, what this means for their other projects and for the Apex is kind of what makes this such an important story. All right. We go over to BC and I have a feeling you might go the same direction, BC. And boy, no. oh boy, after all the pro no. wrestling talk. Oh, we're going the other no. direction. Okay. Well, no, we're going to go a direction you didn't plan, okay? Neither is a big story, but it's definitely not the slap (laughs) shit bullshit here. Look, I always kind of clowned on BKFC. They pull me in with their pro wrestling. Their women's division is like a reality soap opera show with the trash talk. I don't really love it, though. I always considered it the last stop on the combat highway, you know, like when you're driving from L.A. to Vegas and there's that – one gas station in the middle of nowhere and gas is like $9 a gallon and you piss in that fountain and they got all the weird sodas from around the world. But slap fighting is the bottom of the fucking food chain. Like that's as gross and weird as it gets. This is a rich man needing another, you know, project to spend and waste his money on. Not dissimilar from Vince McMahon and WWF back in the day, starting the World Bodybuilding Federation and bringing Lex Luger in and crossing over to both and thinking, no, wrestling fans will love this thing where these ripped guys come out and do music videos and homoerotic dances and like it was it was weird and it was just a weird presentation of it this slap fighting compared to what we do in the ufc is just freaking weird the only way this is the bigger story is if dana looks at all of his ex-fighters ending up in bkc and going hey at least we can give them work i don't want to see like vandalay silva in a slap fighting league i don't want to see slap fighting at all i don't this is weird the other side of it is not a story at all i mean you're putting in rules to just block you just like creating you just like bringing in usada you're just giving yourself you know an insurance coverage in there it's not it's not uh it's not dumb for a company to build that in when you know all these fights are in vegas and you don't want ever there to be impropriety and have a tim donahue situation makes sense but come on this slap fighting thing is weird and gross it's not going to catch on in good distraction it's the worst it's the absolute worst it's the dumbest i like a lot of dumb things and this is the dumbest sport possible and if you end up like, I swear, Dana, if I see Ben Rothwell in there and if I start seeing these guys in there, we're going to have a problem here. OK, let these guys walk away for good. Stop this bullshit. <laughs> Anything you want to add, AK? 
Uh, again, uh, we're, we're in agreement on this. This is, but, but, but I'll just add on again. Like I said, hopefully this leads to some other X arm. If X arm comes back, then it was all worth it. Then it was all worth it. I wish they would invest in, I don't even know if they still have this thing, but there's a, and I just randomly found it after a couple of libations, probably like eight or nine years ago it was on some weird channel, but it was just like, they had like fights, but they were hockey fights. And that was the whole show. It was just hockey fights. They would get on skates, they'd get in there and they would just have hockey fights. And it was like wildly entertaining. It's way more entertaining and way less scary to me than the stupid slap fighting thing. Cause at least one dude gets to adequately put his hands up and try to defend himself instead of getting mollywopped across the dome. But you know what'd be cooler? You know what'd be cooler than that if Zuck pitched a robot fighting league, okay? That he designed himself <laughs> and controlled with a radio control thing up in a booth where he couldn't catch catch any, you know, germs from us regular people. I'd be more interested in that than this absolute trash, okay? <laughs> well, this has been quite the show. I think this is the longest BTL in the history of the program, but it's okay. It's all right. We had a lot of fun here. And now it's time to vote. So cast your vote in the poll. Get them in. Casey will come on in a moment. But quick programming note. Tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, heck of a morning. Twitter spaces, MMA Fighting's Twitter spaces. We'll have some fun. Free for all Friday. We'll talk about anything and everything. Preview show, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Getting you ready for UFC 280. People's pre-fight show going down Saturday 9.15 Eastern, I believe, in the morning because we have a 10 a.m. start time. I believe that's going to be Jed and Casey because I'll be on my way to New York. And then we had our watch party, 1.45 Eastern, me and GC live in the studio, special guests, some good special guests too, by the way. So get excited for that. And then we'll have the usual press conference, post-fight show. And then AK and I are live on Sunday, back at it, on to the next one for some match baking. So that being said, let's bring on the next opponent for... Mike the Truth Jackson, E. Casey Lydon, on the ones and twos, baddest stash at MMA Media. Let's make this fight happen. Casey, what are we thinking here? How are the votes tabbed? Do, we, uh, do I need to waste more time or are we good here? I think we're good. I think we're good. Is, is, is BC done with his answer yet? I know we went over the minute timer, so I don't know. Is he? Is he wait, wait. You guys, had, you guys had rules and time here? I thought this was a free for all. All right. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. We got a winner. We have a winner. Your winner today with 57% of the votes. And still undefeated, Brian Campbell. BC gets it done. Oh, man. He snaps AK's win streak. What a battle. I will say this, AK. You could take solace in this. You did better than Jed Mishu did. I think Jed lost while BC was in the 60s. You got it to the 50s. So you, in fact, if this is a battle between you and Jed, you won. You won. So you get a, a moral victory, AK. Is that enough? Does that feel good enough for you? Uh, yeah, being told that I did better than Jed. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Let's, uh, oh, wrong. Where is it? Let's get the, <laughs> where is it? There it is. Yeah. Uh, being told I did better than Jed and something is it always aligns my spirits, but uh, not not as much as to right, right there. There it is. Not as much as yeah no no, no it's good. I'll stop I'll stop moving now. Uh, not as much as as uh, getting to compete and, and even lose to an esteemed competitor like Brian Campbell. I, I know Brian's got to get the last word, but I want to say I want to say I've been a, a, Brian I've been a fan since I met I remember I remember messaging you I think after your first appearance on the maybe 
And like right away, you and Luke had this amazing chemistry. And I don't know if you guys, I assume you guys knew each other before um, and had always, I, I had planned to do a show eventually, but like to see that you guys are now doing morning combat and doing your own thing and winning awards is like, not a surprise at all. So amazing. You guys have such a great chemistry. I thought it was so cool uh, when you did MMA beat and now you guys are doing this thing. So congratulations wow. on all that, man. I think that's that's so awesome. I appreciate that. I remember that episode 200 of the MMA beat. Who would have thought your boy BC would? I know I wasn't even that close to Luke. I don't, still don't really like him that much, to be fair, but, <laughs> but I appreciate him. Um, look, uh, I'm happy to have won this. Um, I saw a snuff film that looked a lot like this. It was called Habib versus uh, uh Edson Barbosa, and I think that'll be what Saturday's main event looks like too. So place your bets with that. Thank you guys for having me back on. Did you say Jed Meshu retired? Because I want him one more time. Because nobody's <laughs> rhymier and dirtier than that piece of dub T. And I know that he'll, he, you know, he'll bring out the brass knucks. Okay, I know that. But Alex, you have been a, a gentleman. And if this show had real allotted times, you probably would have won. So like TJ, I cheat to win, baby, and I'm okay with that. Okay. We talk about cheating all the time on our programs that they ain't going to call it. So you might as well just cheat your ass off because you're going to win pretty much every time. So thank you very much. What a show this has been. It is onwards to UFC 280. And I think we're all in agreement. That card friggin' rules. You can hit the exit music. We are done back next week to recap all the chaos of UFC 280 and beyond for AK, for BC, for Casey on the ones and twos. I am Mike Heck. Thank you for watching. Back next week. Good night, everybody. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. This has been Between the Links, a podcast on the Vox Media Network. Happy birthday, AK. (laughs) You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.